Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can always learn more about the vision or get financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. Well, what's up, Awaken? Everybody glad to be here? It's uh, election week, in case you've been under a rock somewhere. And uh, hey, I told you last week that I have, I've never really preached a, a sermon um, on politics. I've stayed away from politics uh, for about, well, I've kept politics out of the pulpit um, for the last seven, almost eight years of Awakened Church. doesn't mean that um, I haven't paid attention to politics or believe that we should be responsible citizens. I've just never used this platform to try to sway somebody's vote. And uh, today's not going to be any different. Uh, the, the, the goal today is not to tell you who to vote for or not to vote for. Um, I told you last week, this particular message, I've been sitting on it uh, for a couple weeks now. was going to preach it last week, called an audible, and uh, so I'm, I'm ready. This one has been in the crock pot uh, for two weeks. So um, if you're wondering where in the world am I going with this today, I'm going to ask for a little crowd participation first. Um, if, if you are planning to vote Republican, I'm going to have you stand up and sit on this side of the church. If you're planning to vote Democrat, I'm going to have you stand up and sit on this side of the church, okay? If you're undecided, come down front. When I count to three, y'all get up and move. Y'all ready? One. Two. Y'all are like, is this fool serious right now? Here's the deal. I would never do that. Uh, I did think about it. I was like, I'm going to put Stephen Lodehold, our campus pastor, at the door and just have split you up by color, right? Um, but then I realized, you know what? That would be an incredible divide in this place. Um, and, and I think that's healthy. Let me say that again. I believe that it's healthy that we don't all agree on policy the same way, that we don't all write legislation the same way, that we all don't think healthcare should be a certain way or foreign policy should be a certain way or that the economy, here's the deal. I believe diversity is a very powerful thing. So long as we know how to harness it and as the people of God, the church of God, we know what it is that we need to be united around, uh, what we need to be aligned behind and really what our mission and purpose is as the church. And so this sermon today, if you're taking notes, um, I've decided to call it the polls, the prayer, and the purpose of the church. The polls, the prayer, and the purpose of the church. And I want to read to us in just a moment, um, Jesus' prayer. It's called the high priestly prayer. It's out of John 17. Uh, The disciple John, who was Jesus' best friend, uh, the man who was tasked to take care of his mother after he went back to heaven. John looked after Mary. Uh, John writes down for us, a prayer that Jesus lifted up. It's really one of two prayers that we find in Scripture recorded. The other one is Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is Jesus talking directly to God here in a moment. And the reason why I want to focus on this particular passage is because um, our country right now, the church in our country right now, is incredibly divided. I know I have a front row seat. Um, to a lot of that division. 
Uh, if you're on social media, if you're on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, or if you have any friends at all, um, then you probably have some differences with some people in your life. Maybe you've seen a post that sent you off the deep end. Maybe you made a statement and you got blitzed with comments. Uh, I was watching two weeks ago, I watched The Social Dilemma. Have y'all seen that? Great documentary um, that really highlights how influenced we are as a people uh, by social media. And uh, within that documentary are some of the people that helped found uh, Facebook and develop Instagram and all these social media platforms. And ultimately what the, the documentary talks about is, is how swayed we are, how influenced we are by methods of media. And if you're here going, well, I'm not on social media, uh, it really talks about the implications of the mainstream media and how uh, it's in defense of or response to many of these different things that come out via social media, but at the end of the day, how most of us listen to what our preferences are, and we filter out voices that disagree with us, and, and how there's really this drive for every single individual, maybe even in this room, to eliminate voices that don't agree with what you agree with. So today, what I want to try to do is speak truth from God's word. It may be offensive to all parties, but ultimately, my hope is that we'll be united as the people of God behind the things that Jesus told, to be, told us to be united behind, and, and not our own preferences or our own biases. Y'all good with that? I'm going to pray. I'm going to jump into God's word. Y'all pray with me. Father, thank you for the opportunity uh, to hit pause on our week and to come into a building called your church, to a place where, God, we just gather together to worship you and, and seek to be united underneath the umbrella of our faith in you and the truth of your word. Today, God, I pray that your truth would go forth. I pray that you would soften up hearts that may be hardened. Um, Lord, that you would open up minds where maybe there's uh, prideful perspectives that we can all find ourselves in at times. And God, more than anything, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would unite your people today. It's only by your grace and only by your power that that can happen. So uh, Jesus, fill this place. Teach us by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 17, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up. I'm going to give some context to this passage. And y'all, I want to let you know, I'm going to have to sprint through this sermon because it's a lot. I was live editing at the early service. That's why it pays to come to the 11 o'clock. I got it all figured out now. But John chapter 17, um, the context of this passage, Jesus is on his way to the cross Uh, This is the night that he will go to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night that he'll be arrested, um, and then he will be crucified. It's what we celebrate really at Easter, the the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. This is the night before, or the night that he is arrested. And to give some context, he's just finished having the Last Supper. You've probably seen the famous painting of Jesus and all his disciples at the Last Supper. It's at this Last Supper where they took communion at this last supper that he washed his disciples' feet. And just before he leaves to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, he offers up this prayer. And the reason this is important is because Jesus could really pray anything that he wants in this moment. You think about all the things that Jesus could ask for. Maybe you've been in a small group, or back in the day, a Sunday school class, or maybe just in the privacy of your own home, you've lifted up a prayer or you offered a prayer request. This is Jesus' prayer request to his Father. It's the only extensive prayer 
we have recorded in scripture. So that leads me to believe it really matters. I want to read it in its entirety. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It will also be on the screens. I'm going to read this out of the ESV. I think our screens are going to have it in the NLT. These are just different translations of the same scriptures. But let me read it for us. John chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. And this is eternal life. By the way, if you're here wondering, how can I be guaranteed that I have an eternal relationship with God? How can I be guaranteed that when this world, when my life on this world stops, which by the way, it will, and everybody has to spend eternity somewhere. How can I be guaranteed that I spend eternity with Jesus? How can I be guaranteed that I'm in the presence of God? Here it is, Jesus says, verse three, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The only way to God, the only way to the Father, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, the Son, and what he did and what he accomplished on the cross for you and and for me. That's the only way to salvation. Verse four, Jesus said, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. For I have made your name known, or I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Verse 9. So I'm praying for them, and I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they're yours. All mine is yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, for I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. For while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. This is what Jesus says. I've kept them all one. I've kept them all united. All of them are good, except for the one Judas who has walked away. But now, verse 13, I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. So sanctify them, keep them holy in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. In verse 20, and this is key, and I'm going to talk about it in just a moment. Jesus says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you are a father. I and you, you and me, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. I'm gonna stop right there because it's interesting to me that Jesus, the night before he goes to be arrested and he's about to give his life for the sins of all humanity, Jesus decides to stop and in the presence of his disciples, pray for unity. Of all the things that he could request, Of all the things he could directly ask for, he says, God, here's what I'm asking, that you keep them as one. 
You keep them united as a group. You keep them aligned and on mission with the very purpose for which you sent me, and that was to call them into a relationship with you. Unite the church. It tells me that 2,000 years ago, Jesus saw this coming. Like where we are today, Jesus saw it coming. You're like, no, 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 he didn't have a democracy. There was not Democrats. There wasn't Republicans back then. And you're right, but I think we have to remember who's sitting at the table on this particular night. Because at the table on this night, there's a guy named Simon. Simon um, was a political zealot. Zealot was a party. They were literally trying to overthrow the Roman government. One of his disciples was like this political candidate. Could you imagine today Jesus showing up? One of his disciples would be like a dude on Congress, right? Like, why, why would he pick them? And listen, there's Christians on Congress. I'm not trying to like slam politicians. Some of the most godly people I know are in politics. But Jesus literally had a politician sitting at his table. Jesus also had Peter sitting there. When Jesus is arrested hours after this prayer, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. Peter takes a sword, cuts off his ear. Why? Because Peter wanted an earthly kingdom. He wanted to establish a rule and reign in the flesh. Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus goes, no, 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 Peter, that's not, that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to establish that. He had Thomas at the table. Thomas was a doubter. Thomas didn't believe in Jesus even after Jesus came back from the dead. Thomas is hanging out with the disciples. Jesus walks through a door in his resurrected body and he's like, hey guys. Thomas is like, nah, that's not him. And he had to touch his scars to actually believe. See, my point is sometimes we look at the disciples, the 11 that were left here, and we go, oh, that's because they, they had Jesus. They were good. And we fail to realize that even though they followed Jesus for three years, they still had major differences and major difficulty at times getting along. It's why after the resurrection, they scattered. Jesus knew that when tough times came and persecution came, it'd be hard for the church to stick together. So here we are 2,000 years later, and what do we have? We're in the middle of COVID, this pandemic. We've been isolated. We're watching the media in the middle of an election. Just poison all around in terms of what's being said and negativity and fear that's being stoked from both sides. No matter who you vote for Tuesday, it's like the world's going to fall apart. Anybody else feel that way? It's crazy. And here Jesus is going, Father, please just keep, keep those who say they love you unified. Keep the church united. Make them one. In the same way, Father, that you and I are one. Make them one. Give them unity of purpose. Give them unity of mission. Because Jesus knew that if we forget who we are as the people of God, we'll chase after all these earthly desires. And the enemy will split us up so fast. So I want to break down this prayer for us. If you're taking notes, this would be a good time to start. John 17, verse 9. This is where this prayer applies to us. It's so easy sometimes to look at scripture and go, that was written a long time ago for people that don't exist anymore. It has no application to my life. But in John 17, verse 9, Jesus talks and he prays for you and me, those of us who claim to be Christians. This is what he says in verse 9. My prayer is not for the world. Wait a minute now, this is Jesus. Didn't Jesus love everybody? Isn't he praying for everybody? The whole world in his hands. Y'all heard that? Right? 
Yeah, the whole world's in his hands. That song we sang earlier, this nation still belongs to Jesus. That's not us sitting here declaring, oh, we're a Christian nation. By any Jesus is over every nation. He's over everything. The Bible says that uh, he's over all creation. He's in all creation. And in him, all things are held together. So yes, the nation of America belongs to Jesus, but so does the nation of Iran. So does Russia. So does China. They all belong to him, by the way. Right? And Christians all around the world could sing that same song. It's not just American Christians that could sing that song. And, and as I look at this and I, and I see Jesus' prayer is not for the world, but for those that you have given me. Jesus goes, look, right now in this moment, this prayer, these are for mine. These are for the disciples. These are for the 11 disciples at the table. For about 100 beyond the table that were following Jesus at the time. We know in Acts chapter 1, when they gathered uh, in Jerusalem and they were waiting for the Holy Spirit, there was about 120 followers sitting in a room. All right, that's like half the room. That's it. You go, wait a minute, Jesus gave his life and he spent three years on earth. Yep, and this was his following right here. It wasn't thousands. It was actually a very small group, but Jesus goes, um, I'm praying for them. And my prayer for them is this. I'm departing from the world. They're staying in the world. Father, now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united. Everybody say united. So they will be united just as we are. Jesus prayed for unity. And I believe unity is one of those things that oftentimes we think about the word and we go, that's impossible. Like it's impossible to achieve real unity because we're so different. Like I look across our church right now and and the, the earlier service, I know many of the ones that are watching online who've not come back in person yet. And that's just the ones that I know. I mean, there's hundreds, maybe even thousands watching online. But, but what I know is this, across this room, some of you already have, or are planning to on Tuesday, vote Republican. Some of you already have, or are planning to on Tuesday, vote Democrat. Some of you are like, look, I'm going to write my own name in there, because I could do better than both these jokers, right? If, we, if I were to ask this morning, hey, what, what do you think is the best, best policy for, for health care? Who's got the, very, the, the better foreign policy of the candidates? Or what should we do about taxes? Or what should we do about immigration? What should we do? If I were to ask you, y'all, the, the opinions in this room would, would span the spectrum. The, the goal as the people of God is not to get us all in agreement with every single policy and every slice of legislation. We do understand that, right? There is strength to diversity in the body of Christ. Let me give you an example. I, I love sports. It's, it's one of the things that, it's one of the passions of my life. And when I look at like a football team playing, by the way, I'm a big Clemson fan. God, thank you for what you did yesterday. We, we should have lost that game. We should have lost, right? I, I look at a football team and, and I see, you know, 70 players with jerseys. The jerseys match. They have different numbers, but the jerseys match. The helmets match. They have the same logo. They take the field. They have one mission and purpose in mind, and that's to win, to score points and to win. Now, if you were to take the helmet off of each player and take the shoulder pads off of each player, what's amazing is that the team is actually incredibly diverse. They come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic uh, situations. No question they have different beliefs. Right, like there's the, each individual on the team is very different, but when they're a part of the team, they have a common purpose, 
And they're united because of that purpose. Yo, that's what the church is supposed to be like. The church, unity is not uniformity in the sense that we all should believe the same thing all the time. You've heard me say this. We, we are united by the truths of God's word, the core pillars of the gospel. Everything else is negotiable. The gospel and his truth is what unites us as his people. We go, well, well how does that play into politics? How does that play into my decision this Tuesday? How do I know what I should do and how do I know how I should vote? Jesus said in verse 17, chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus said, um, make them holy. He's talking to God again. Jesus says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Jesus says, make them holy. Holy means set apart. How can we as the people of God, the church, be set apart and holy from the world? How do we look different as the church from a culture that's seeking something called truth? Our truth is this word. And it's not, it's not relative to our experience. Maybe you've heard the, the phrase before, this is my truth. Anybody heard that? This is my truth. Now, my truth is based on my upbringing and my experience and the, the good things that happened to me and the bad things that happened to me and the world that I see through my eyes and my upbringing and what I went through and I, my, me, my. But when we accept the truth of God's word, it's absolute and it actually transcends generations. In other words, this has been truth long before democracy was even an idea. This, this, is, this is truth in communist China. This is truth in Russia. This is truth in Iran. This is truth in Egypt. This is truth in predominantly Muslim countries. This is truth in America. It doesn't matter what the government says, pushes, or believes. This is absolute truth. So how in the world can we be united as the people of God? Well, unite, we unite behind this word. This is absolute truth. Uh, the, the documentary Social Dilemma talks about the, the idea that there is no truth. There is no absolute truth. They use the example of Kyrie Irving. Um, now, Kyrie is, I've never met him. I would love to meet him. Uh, incredible basketball player, right? He's responsible for getting LeBron a couple rings, I think. But um, I got to say that. Kyrie's brilliant. All right, Kyrie went to, to Duke University. And I don't care what you think about sports. If you get into Duke University, you're brilliant. This man is incredibly smart. Several years ago, he came out publicly and said, the earth is flat. People are like, hang on a sec, Kyrie, like, you've been smoking? What in the world's going on here? He really believed it. He defended it. And people are like, Kyrie, we got pictures of, like, the earth. It's round. Like, you know, wake up. It's, it's good. And, and Kyrie would come out later and say, look, here's the deal. Here's what happened. I know the earth is round. I was on YouTube one night. Got caught up in a video, went down a rabbit hole, and, and I got caught up, you know? And he was listening to all these videos and all these voices that were saying the earth is flat and that the round earth is a conspiracy, and he actually began to believe it. I'm talking about a multimillionaire, one of the best athletes in the world, Duke University, and you're like, how could he be so duped? Here's the truth. You begin to believe whatever you feed yourself. And where most of us exist, listen, where most people exist is filtering out voices that disagree with you and only continuing to feed your own belief system. If we would do the same thing when it came to the truth of God's word, 
I think we'd actually get somewhere. But we spend a minimal amount of time in his word and a whole lot of time listening to other things and other places and other voices. And I'm, I'm inviting us back to a place or into a place where we go, no, this is absolute truth and this is going to dictate how I live. When it comes to politics, y'all, politics, is a, it's a game. Tevin, come here. Where you at? I didn't do this first service and I'm nervous. All right. This is Tevin. Y'all get it for Tevin. Love Tevin. All right. So I referenced earlier, big sports fan, right? So here's the deal. When it comes to football, football is a game where you have two teams, correct? So you got team A, team B. I went to Somerville High. He went to Greenwood. All right. The game is designed for me to do everything I can to get past Tevin. For Tevin, do everything he can to get past me. It is designed for us to oppose each other. Would y'all agree? Here's what we're going to do. Get a three-point stance. All right? Here we go. When I say hut, you bring your best, okay? Why are you laughing? You ready? Damn. Y'all, I ain't stupid. (laughs) Here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. Football's a game with two teams. No matter what happens, there is nothing in the course of a game. If I'm Clemson, let's say he's Carolina, Somerville, Greenwood, at no point in the game are we ever going to go, yep, let's march toward the same goal line together. Right? The game's not designed that way. The game's designed for him to oppose me and me to oppose him and to fight back and forth. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a game. Now, this is what's important. Usually when you watch a, a game, there's two teams on the field. There's a third team in every football game. It's called the officials. Matter of fact, Tyler, come on up here. Come on up here. I'm going to give you this book. and I'm going to set you over here, okay? Somerville, Greenwood. Here's, here's the third team. It's called the officials. There's seven of them. You got a line judge. You got an umpire. You got a referee. Now, now Tyler's, Tyler's in the game. He's on the field. He's a part of it. But, but the officials are actually over the game. In other words, even though they're on the field and they're seeing the hitting and the tackling and everything that's going on and hearing, the, I'm sure, the profanity on the field, the, the blows going back and forth, Tyler's job is to be in the game but to actually enforce a set of rules to guide the game. And those rules are written by a book or written in a book that he uses to officiate what actually happens here. What I want us to see is the church, if you're here today and you claim I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God. We're on that team. Like we're, we're, in, we're in the game. We're in the chaos. We're dealing with some of the blows, right? We may give a, a pat on the back to one team here or there or a pat on the back here or, or help them up off the ground. But ultimately, we belong to a different team and our life and how we behave is guided by a different set of rules. That's important. Thank you, guys. Y'all give them a hand. There's a, there's a book of truth that is bigger than the election. And when you contemplate, okay, how do I vote on Tuesday or, or how do I, you know, what your response to this election, here's what I'm begging you to do as a Christian and for us to do as a church. It is not to, to pick a party 
and, and view this book through the lens of that party. If you do that, you'll be able to justify anything that your party stands for. I'm inviting you to subscribe to the way of Jesus, which would be put this lens on first and then look at the election and let the values of this book, the truth of this book, guide your decisions. I also want to say, let's be responsible as citizens of the kingdom of God and not bow out of voting. There's a lot of people who've gone before us to pave the way for the right to vote. And it's a chance for the body of Christ to express biblical values at the polls. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not telling you how to vote. But I am saying you have an opportunity to go cast a vote that expresses the truth of God's word for whatever candidate you see fits that mold. Wait a minute, preacher. How can you be a Christian and vote for? You can fill in the blank. And I just need to remind everybody here that you're not a Christian based on anything that you do, but on what's been done. That no matter where you vote doesn't make you not a Christian. And so as we, as we contemplate this week, when we contemplate the words of Jesus who prayed for unity. Man, can we just all be committed to that charge from him more than whether we're right or whether we're wrong? Let the truth of his word be the thing that guides our decision. Jesus said, that's what's going to make you holy. That's what's going to make you set apart. We have to, as the people of God, unite around this. Not a political preference or a bias, but the word of God. And you may be asking yourself, well, I don't know what it says. That would be the first issue. Get into God's word. It'll shape everything that you say, do, and believe. Jesus said, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word. Your word is truth. Verse 20, I'm praying not only for these disciples. In other words, I'm not praying um, just for John. I'm not praying just for James. I'm not praying um, just for Matthew or just for Simon or just for Peter or just for Thomas. I'm not praying just for the 11 that are sitting at this table. I'm praying for all who will ever believe in me. That means if you're within the sound of my voice today and you believe in Jesus and who he says he is and what he did, Jesus is personally praying for you in this moment. And if that doesn't bring like a sense of one overwhelming gratitude, but also humility to each and every one of us, that the son of God hours before he'll die on the cross is lifting us up in prayer, And then to think through what he actually prays for is that we would be one for all who believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as Jesus, Jesus says to the father, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, father, and I am in you, that they may, that they may be in us. And here's the purpose for unity, that they may be in us so that the world will believe you sent me so that. In other words, unite them as one so that the world watching from the outside will know, hey, there's something different about those people. Jesus says that's the thing that's going to be the testimony to a world who needs to see it. Not door-to-door evangelism. You want to give your heart to Jesus? Because listen, that means nothing when that same person looks at a church that's getting split over political problems. You follow me? Not a bumper sticker. Look, you can put a fish on your car if you want to. But if on the other side of that car, you're bashing Biden or bashing Trump, you can go ahead and rip that fish off. That, that's, that's what's happened in our culture. And Jesus says, look, I'm praying they would be united 
Because when the world looks in at a united group of people, even though the people don't look the same, that blows the minds of people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because how can I love somebody who wouldn't like me? Everything in our nature says hate them. You don't agree with me? You cancel out. You made a dumb post about a candidate I don't like? You're blocked forever, even if I work beside you, right? The world says cancel them out, block them out, throw them to the wayside. I don't agree with you. I don't have anything to do with you. Jesus says, no, no, the people that actually oppose you, you need to love. The ones that offend you, you got to forgive. If they hit you in one cheek, just give them the other cheek. Love them anyway. Serve them anyway. Sacrifice anyway. It's crazy. It's crazy. Jesus says, look, in John 17, verse 23, he says, God, I'm praying this so that they may experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. In other words, Jesus says the way to accomplish unity and to love people you don't even agree with, he just modeled it for them at the Last Supper. Maybe you remember the story. They gather at the table. Jesus gives them bread and says, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to the cross. I'm gonna die for your sins. He said, this is my cup. It's the blood shed for you. Every time you drink it, Remember me. Jesus says, I'm about to sacrifice myself so that you can have a relationship with God. And then the most dumbfounding part for me, he gets up from the table and he gets down on his knees. And he, and he looks at guys like Peter, right? We, we know that hours later, Peter's going to betray him. Peter's going to sit at a campfire three times, tell a young lady, I don't even know who that man is. I have nothing to do with him. But in this moment, Jesus gets down on his knees and he washes Peter's feet. Wait a minute, Jesus knew that was gonna happen? He knew that he'd be betrayed? Yeah, he knew and he loved and he served and he sacrificed anyway. All of them. Could you imagine on Tuesday? Could you imagine taking a, a basin of water and a towel to wherever you go to vote on Tuesday? Let's say you go to the Coliseum, that's where I voted. And you wait in that long line and you see that person walking out of the door and they got a MAGA hat on, make America great again. And you're over here and you're like, I can't wait to vote Democrat, stupid Republican. But let's just imagine you said, you know what? I'm gonna post up, call them over, get on my knees and I'm gonna wash their feet. I'm gonna serve them. That is so counter-cultural. Or let's say you're over here about to cast your vote for Republican and you see somebody walk out and they're like, yep, Biden all day wearing a mask, and you go, you know what, man, they're just foolish, they're gonna shut down my economy, and blah, 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 blah. And let's say you step out of line, you go over and go, you know what, I don't agree with you, but I'm gonna serve you anyway. It's a posture of humility. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, look, Father, I'm asking they would be united in purpose, which means you love people even though you don't agree with them. You choose to love people, even in disagreement. Y'all, the church would look so different if we would make that decision. And love isn't some kumbaya and rainbows and unicorns all the time. This isn't like a, oh, let's just, you know, we're all happy. That's not what I'm saying. I view, I view love through the lens of being a dad. 
And sometimes, yeah, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's taking my little Brooklyn and baby, get up in my lap and I'll cuddle with you all day long and we can rainbow and unicorn all day long, right? But sometimes love is, you know, I'm gonna work my tail off. I'm gonna work extra hours and I'm gonna sacrifice. And my family may not even see it, the sacrifice, but they get to walk in the benefits of it. That's what it means to love sometimes. Sometimes love means I'm gonna take whatever hurt you might say and I'll just absorb the pain and choose to forgive rather than confront and oppose when I easily could, right? Love is, is not always this pretty thing. In fact, love most times is doing things people don't even see. What would happen if, if you decided come Tuesday, really this week, that in all the conversations, all the arguments, all the posts, if you just made a decision, you know what? I'm gonna choose this week to forgive, to love, to serve, and even sacrifice on behalf of people that I don't agree with. I think it would change things. I know it would change things within the church. Not this church, not just this church, but the church. And I believe that if we leave this place today and we push any political agenda more than we push the unity Jesus asked for, we're in violation of the very thing that he prayed for. So as the people of God who have made a decision to follow Jesus, let's pursue unity together. That's the heart of the Jesus we follow. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray as I close this out. And you may be here today saying, you know, Brandon, that's, that's a great message, but it's incredibly difficult to carry out. And I, I would 100% agree it's very difficult to carry out. But the way of following Jesus is not one of convenience. It's not one of making our lives easier but it is one of serving other people and making this world better. And I believe as the church, we're called to be salt and light. We're called to be different. And if we will seek and pray for unity and do the things necessary to see it embodied, y'all, that that will be attractive to a world that's desperate. Amen. Let's pray together. Would you extend your hands in unity with me as we pray? Father, this morning, as we um, close out this service and we walk into a week that um, is probably gonna be tumultuous in a lot of ways, social media, media, workplaces, schools. Lord, outside of these walls, there are so many opinions. God, we've been reminded today that you call us to be a certain type of people and it's a people after your own heart and your heart desires unity for your people. So this morning, God, I pray that you would unite us. We echo the prayers of Jesus that through our unity, the world will know that he's legit. God, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And because of how he forgave us, we can forgive others. How he served us, we can serve others. How he sacrificed for us, we can sacrifice for others. And God, I pray that everything we say and do as your people would point to you, all of it, every single bit of it. And God, I pray that no matter what happens this week or what happens in this election, that our hope would always be found in you, not in the White House, not in this country, not in some nationality, but God, 100% in you, Jesus, because you're the constant. So we love you today, we worship you today, and we thank you all in the power of Jesus' name, amen.